Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Power does not operate by chance. It operates not by coincidence, but by providence. Say this with me, in the name of Jesus, I receive everything God wants to show me, and I ask him right now to open my eyes to whatever is happening in the earth, not to see it as coincidence, but to see it as the power of providence. Somebody ought to give God the praise. So tonight, my objective to show with you the creation code and some of the creation code is not just so that you find some little code in the Bible and get a little spiritual high over some revelation that we give. I want to show you the creation code of the biblical feast in the scripture so that you will understand that the time zone of the biblical feast is not of this world. It was before time. There are separated segments of time so that when the time comes that you would enter into Rosh Hashanah, when the time comes that you would enter into all of the biblical feasts, that you would understand the power of God's providence is taking over. And because of the blood of Jesus, we have access to every promise that God gave to Israel. Somebody ought to give God the praise. Say this with me, the promise without the curse. So here we are seeing, as we look and we are studying this creation code, because this means that the creation code is going to reveal the revelation of God inscribed in creation during a biblical feast, and that this is going to prove the power of providence and prove the set times. The set times, set with me, the set times. God's predestined plan in the earth. He made the earth very deliberately with a predestined plan. Hallelujah. Now we need to understand in a Hebrew sense of scripture, as we look at Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning is a very critical component of the creation code. Say it with me, in the beginning is a very critical component of the creation code because hidden in the words in the beginning are the revealing of the set times. The set time and the first set time that God is establishing as a critical component in the creation code found in in the beginning is on the first of Tishri is Rosh Hashanah. So we're understanding when we look at these times that these times are consecrated and they're separated away from what is secular. In order to understand Rosh Hashanah and God's revelation inscribed in creation through the biblical feast, we're looking at these words and we're seeing 
on the first of Tishri. And we are seeing, let's look at the second sign of God's revelation inscribed in creation. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And I want you to look at that with me in the word. Let's look at verse 6 and let, let, let's read it. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the water from water. Catch your neighbor and say, neighbor, this is the division of water from water. I want you to understand that there are phrases that are used here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 that are extremely important to the entire structure of the way that Moses is writing because when Moses begins to tell us what happened at the Red Sea, he is going to use the same wording that he used here, the same words that are not by random but by deliberate choice because there is a direct connect to the two scriptures. And we're seeing it here in Genesis chapter 1, and we are looking at verse 6. And God said, let the firmament divide in the midst of the waters, and let it divide water from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters. Hallelujah. Say, say this with me. He divided the waters. This is something that he did when they crossed the Red Sea. The same wording is used. He divided the waters. And so the scripture is showing us here. He divided the waters and God made the firmament. And again we have, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, first of all, we need to see in verses 6 through 8, we have two biblical feasts that are inscribed in this creative act of God. We're speaking of the creation code, and what we're looking for in the creation code is God's revelation inscribed in creation showing us the biblical feast. So we're going to look at verses 6 through 8, and we're going to see Two biblical feasts that are inscribed in the second day of creation. These biblical feasts are the Aleph and the Tav of biblical feasts. The first biblical feast on the Hebrew calendar is Passover. We already shared with you, if we were to look at Exodus chapter 14 and looking at verse 16, God said to Moses, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel will go on dry ground. So here we see a comparative, uh, a comparative context with the scripture, waters dividing, hallelujah. Moses stretched out his hand, and the waters divided from the waters. So it's very apparent that in... Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, that we have the Aleph of the biblical feasts. We have Passover, but we also have the Tob of biblical feasts. 
because the last biblical feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. And we need to understand, especially in the first century when Jesus lived, that the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated by the pouring out of water on the floor of the temple, representing the upper waters being separated from the lower waters. Here we have it, dear people of God, and we see it, and we're looking at the word of God, and we're seeing what God has put in his word. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in John chapter 7, verse 37, speaking of the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jesus went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the Bible says on that great day of the feast, that was the day when they would take the water jugs from the pool of Siloam and they would pour them out on the temple floor, representing the days when the upper waters were separated from the lower waters, the Aleph being in Passover and the Tav of all the biblical feasts being Feast of Tabernacles. Somebody ought to give God the praise. John 7:37 says in that last great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried and said if any man come unto me let him come to me and drink for he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water So we have on the second day of creation the Aleph and the Tavs. We have the Aleph on 114, which is Passover. I'm, I'm putting this in your mind because we're going to go there in a minute. The first of all biblical feasts, Passover, which is the first of Nisan, the 14th day. And then we have the last of the biblical feasts, which is Sukkot, or Feast of Tabernacles, which is one, which is 715. So we have 14 and we have 15. And we need to remember that. Now, looking, dear people of God, at God's revelation inscribed in creation, we are seeing and we are proving the power of providence in the biblical feasts because God set the supernatural segment of time before he created time on the fourth day of creation. So we need to understand that these, that these feasts all represent the supernatural segment of time, the power of providence, but they also represent that every biblical feast has within it a messianic miracle. Somebody ought to say messianic miracles in the creation code. What is the messianic miracle in the second day of creation? The elephant, the top. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Somebody ought to give God the praise. What is the messianic miracle in, in the creation code? What we might say a, a collaborative or an altogether, if we are to look at it and we are to see that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, but actually the creation process is actually seven days because on that seventh day, God didn't snooze. But what happened was 
when the, when the holy presence of God came over the earth, he brought everything that he made into perfection. And so we need to understand it was, it was finished. It was brought to its highest pinnacle of purpose. And so we have in the creation code 10 times that God utters and God says. We have 10 times of 10 divine utterances by which God created the heavens and the earth. And we have seven days in which the creation process took place. We have 10 and we have seven. Say with me, 10 and seven. Let me just be scriptural here so you understand. God said in Genesis 1-3, and God said in Genesis 1-6, and God said in Genesis 1-9, and God said in Genesis 1-11, and God said in Genesis 1-14, and God said in Genesis 1-20, and God said in Genesis 1-24, and God said in Genesis 1-26, and God said in Genesis 1-28, and God said in Genesis 1-29, 10 utterances that God said. In seven days, 10 and seven. So what's the supernatural significance of 10 and seven? There's a messianic miracle encoded in the 10 and seven because 10 and seven is the numbers of atonement. So we understand we see Aleph and Tov and we also see atonement because the day of atonement is the 10th day of the seventh month. Touch your neighbor and say the creation code. Revealing Jesus as the Messiah and revealing that he created all things by him and for him. And he created this world with mercy in mind. Somebody ought to give God the praise. So we've seen Yom Kippur 10 and 7. And we've seen the elephant Tov in the second day of creation. He who is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the elephant the Tov. And the reason why the elephant Tov is on that second day of creation, because it, it is a prophetic parallel of all the feasts. Elephant and Tov are all inclusive of all the biblical feasts. All seven biblical feasts are included in the elephant the Tov so that we would understand that on the second day of creation, that is when God began creating this supernatural segment of time, and he set the feast apart from all the days of the earth. He set a purpose, he set a plan before time began so that you could walk into your prophetic purpose, so that you could begin to understand that he's got something for you before the foundation of the world. He's already got your name written in his book. He's already got your destiny set. Somebody ought to give God the praise and give God the glory. Now, the second supernatural sign of Rosh Hashanah. The first supernatural sign of Rosh Hashanah, I told you we would only share two tonight. The first supernatural sign of Rosh Hashanah is in that creation code. And the second supernatural sign of Rosh Hashanah is, the, is Rosh Hashanah and the prelude to the power of apocalypse. I'm going to say that again. 
Rosh Hashanah, and the prelude to the power of apocalypse. Now, we have many years talked about Rosh Hashanah being Judgment Day, as well as the day of the Lord, as well as being day that God is going to reverse, return, recovery, restoration, recreation. It's God's day of remembrance. It's when God remembers you. It's the day Hannah got her miracle and conceived Samuel. It was the day that Isaac was born. It was the set time. The Lord told Abraham, I will come and visit you at the set time. If you interpret the word set time, it's not just normal time. That word in Hebrew is the word mo'ed, which literally means it's the word that's used for biblical feasts. So we're understanding. But tonight we're going to talk about the second supernatural sign of Rosh Hashanah, which is a prelude to the power of apocalypse. And in, script, in a scriptural sense or in a literal sense of scripture, we need to know that Rosh Hashanah is also known as the day of the Lord. Say it with me. Rosh Hashanah is known as the day of the Lord. Throughout the scripture, the text teaches that Rosh Hashanah is a prelude to the power of the day of the Lord. I would like you, if you will, to look at Zephaniah chapter 1. Go with me so you understand what the day of the Lord is. Go with me to Zephaniah chapter 1, looking at verses 14 through 16. And we're going to see what the prophet Zephaniah calls the day of the Lord, so that also when we refer to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, and he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me the sound of the voice of the trumpet. He's not just talking about Sunday. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 16 says, The day of the Lord, it is near. It is near and it hasteneth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is always alluded to as a voice as a trumpet, and that's exactly what we see in Revelation 1.10. I heard behind me the voice of the sound of a trumpet. Continuing in context, verse 15, and we're seeing the day of that day is a day of wrath. It's a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of wastedness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16 begins it by saying, a day of trumpets, or a day of an alarm, a day of a teruah. A teruah is a specific blast that's used on Rosh Hashanah. It's the blast of the sound. It's the alarm that goes off on Rosh Hashanah. And so we need to understand that Rosh Hashanah is not only known as the day of the, the miraculous memorial of the Lord, the day God remembers you, as we see in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24, you're going to receive your miracle. On Rosh Hashanah, God is going to remember you. And Rosh Hashanah is not only a time of return and recovery because of the supernatural symbol of seven. And remember in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, not modern Hebrew, but in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is the same word as Sheba. And that word Sheba has a different grammatical, a little bit different in the grammar, but the spelling is the same. 
for seven and oath. So we're talking about an oath. We're talking about swearing before God, that God is making his covenant oath with us. And so we are seeing, beloved people, that Rosh Hashanah is a prelude to the power of the day of the Lord. Go with me, please, to Joel chapter 2. And this is going to be our primary text tonight. Joel chapter 2. Because in a literal sense of scripture, Joel chapter 2, in Joel chapter 2, the text teaches us that the day of the Lord, as Rosh Hashanah, will be ushered in with supernatural signs in the heavens. Let me say that again. You and I must understand the message of the prophet Joel is that in a literal sense of scripture, the text teaches us that the day of the Lord or Rosh Hashanah is going to be ushered in with supernatural signs in the heavens. In Joel chapter 2, looking at verse 1, the Bible says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Sound the teruah. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. That means it's Rosh Hashanah. Sound the alarm because the day of the Lord is near. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is near. Now watch this in verse 30. This is where I want your attention tonight. Verses 30 and 31. Verse 30 says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and pillars of smoke. Now watch this. Blood, fire, pillars of smoke. Verse 31 is going to tell us exactly how that's going to be in the equation. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So before we go any further, we need to understand that on one of these Rosh Hashanahs, something is going to happen. The moon is going to turn to blood, and the sun is going to be turned to darkness. And we need to understand what this is. This is the heavens becoming the herald of God's word. This is the heavens preaching the gospel. You didn't hear me. you just read about in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. They don't just show it, they speak it. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord and it showeth forth his handiwork. So when we see Joel 2 verses 30 and 31, the text teaches us that the heavens will herald the great and terrible day of the Lord that will occur on Rosh Hashanah. 
We see it in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. We saw it in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. We see it also in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to see it very clearly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, or verses 16 through 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And they that are dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The voice, again, you have the voice, the voice of the archangel. John said in Revelation, I heard behind me the sound of a voice. We read in Zephaniah, the voice of the day of the Lord. Do you all understand? And so we are seeing that the rapture will occur on a Rosh Hashanah. And we read that also in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, where John said, I heard behind me the voice as the sound of a trumpet. So we're understanding this. In Psalm 19, the text teaches that the heavens in the heavens will be supernatural signs that become, now watch this, in the heavens there will be supernatural signs that become declarations of holy indications that something is about to happen. I said in the heavens, there's going to be declarations that are holy indications that something is about to happen. And you better not call it coincidence. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm looking out for those holy declarations that are going to become supernatural indications that something is about to happen on planet Earth. Something's about to happen on planet Earth. Touch your neighbor and say, we better get a clue. Psalm 19, verse 1, I'm going to read it again. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. That means the heavens utter a speech that's not in a language with human sound. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The line has gone out throughout the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That word, the heavens declare, that word declare in Hebrew is the word safar, which is taken from the word sefer, where we get the word book. 
That's why when the end comes, the heavens are going to roll up like a scroll. Because why? God's message is going to come down and he's going to use the heavens to be his book to declare his coming. So we need to understand that word declare, which is the word safar, which means to relate something, to mark something. God's going to mark some things in the heavens. To mark with calculations and numbers. That's what safar means in Hebrew. So I'm going to mark it with numbers. Oh, what does that mean? You'll find out. To mark it with numbers. And we can see that this word comparing in context to scroll. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 34 verse 4, and all the host of the heaven shall be as a scroll and shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled together. The greatest sign in the heavens that announced the greatest message was the star of Bethlehem. God used the heavens to declare his glory. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, the wise men came to Herod, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, the last line, And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, and it came and stood over the place where the child was. So Psalm 19 is giving us our background to understand. Now we're going to take a deeper look at this. And we're going to look in a literal sense of scripture. In a literal sense of scripture, Joel chapter 2, as a prelude to the power of Rosh Hashanah and the apocalypse, conveys in the context that the heavens are going to make declarations that are holy indications that through specific signs that, that, there, that the sun, the specific signs that Joel said is that the sun is going to turn to darkness and the moon is going to turn to blood. That when we see those signs, they're holy indications that the Lord, the day of the Lord is near. Now, in a scientific sense of scripture, Joel chapter 2 and the signs that are given are what NASA calls a solar eclipse, and a lunar eclipse. In a scientific sense of scripture, the supernatural sign in the heavens will be with the moon, and the NASA scientists refer to this as a blood moon. According to a recent NASA report on October 19, 2004, 
a blood moon appeared for three hours that could be seen anywhere in the earth except Australia. According to NASA, this is not my words, according to NASA, a blood moon occurs when there is a lunar eclipse. It occurs when the moon glides into the Earth's shadows because the Earth has a certain, outside the, the atmosphere of the Earth, if you were to take a lens, a very special scientific lens, and see outside the Earth, you would see that there is a rim around the Earth, very light, that is red. Throughout history, there have been very rare occurrences of blood moons. Recently, we have seen in history that there are tetrads of blood moons, meaning four moons in one span of time. Even more rare and the rarest of the rare. It's not just when a blood moon appears and four appear in one span of time. Let's say a blood moon happens in one year, then six months later it'll happen again, or a year later it'll happen again. These are sequences that are just noted. They're just blood moons. But when a tetrad comes in a pattern, and very, very rare in human history, have tetrads of blood moons ever fallen on biblical feasts? But the pattern has been in the 20th century that the tetrad of blood moons appeared in the most urgent times of Israel's history. The first pattern of the blood moons, and they're the same, the tetrads repeat themselves. You have four blood moons, and on the first blood moon, you, it appears on the first day of Passover, and the second blood moon appears in the Tav, the first day of Sukkot. Then you have the pattern repeating itself, the first day of Passover and the second day of Sukkot. The pattern is not changing. It's only appeared very rarely in human history. Let me tell you when they appeared. In 1948, Israel became a nation. After 2,000 years of being scattered to the ends of the earth, and the very first time in human history, when the blood moons appeared in a pattern that fell on the biblical feasts, they appeared right after 1948. The first blood moon that appeared was on April 13th, 1949, which was the first Passover that would be celebrated in the Holy Land after they became a nation. The second blood moon appeared on October 7th, 
1949, which would mean the first set of biblical seasons that they again could celebrate in the Holy Land. But they come in tetrads, they come in fours. So on April 12, 1950, on Passover again, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word of God be established. The heavens were bearing witness to the first set of blood moons. So the first set of blood moons, blood moons which are a phenomena, they happen rarely, but for a full blood moon to appear on Passover, the very first Passover celebrated in the Holy Land after they became a nation that in 1948 Right, in 1949, celebrating it. And then the blood moon appearing in the Tav, in the final feast of Sukkot. And the next year, the witness of the heavens on the same day. Somebody ought to give God the praise. The next time. Blood moons appear in human history in a tetrad on biblical feasts. Now, they've appeared on their own, but to appear on biblical feasts and the same biblical feast. They never go off the pattern. They're always in the Aleph Tav. They never go off the pattern. They're always in the first and the last, revealing the one who created the heavens, Revealing the one who guides the stars. Re re revealing the one who created all things. And by him all things exist. One of the most astonishing wonders in modern times was the tetrad of bud moons that appeared during the time of the Six-Day War over the fight over the territories of Jerusalem being taken back. The Tetrad appeared on Passover 1967. The war broke out in June. The first Tetrad of blood moons began on that Passover of 1967 in April. And the second blood moon broke out in Sukkot, 1967, October 18th. Then on Passover, following year, because they're always, they're always bearing witness that this is true. Because a witness has to have a second witness. So we find that in Passover of 1950, on October, on, on April 13th, 
the second set of tetrads began. And or, or the second part of the tetrad began. We have April 13th, which is Passover, and the final appearing of the blood moon on October 6th, Sukkot. They never break out of the pattern of Passover, Sukkot. Passover, Sukkot, the first and the last, the Aleph and the Tav, inscribed in creation when God created the heavens and the earth. You and I need to understand this is the power of God. Now, what happened in the Six-Day War? The Six-Day War was one of the most devastating wars in human history. In the Six-Day War, 10,000 Egyptians died. In the Six-Day War, 6,000 Jordanian casualties. In the Six-Day War, thousands of Syrians. But in the Six-Day War, only 700 casualties in Israel. Somebody ought to give God the praise. Never has it been recorded in history that a tetrad of blood moons appeared in between with a solar eclipse. These were tetrads where only the moon was turning to blood. But they never appeared with a solar eclipse as Joel's prophecy. Joel said the sun will be darkened and the moon will be turned to blood. And this is how you will know that the day of the Lord is at hand. According to NASA, there are scheduled tetrads to begin in sequence in the first time in this century. The scheduled tetrads begin on Passover, April 15th, 2014. The second blood moon that will appear, look it up on NASA website, will appear on October 8th, 2014. Sukkot, Aleph Tav. And in the middle, on March the 3rd, or I'm sorry, 320, on, on March the 20th, is Rosh Kodesh Nisan. There will be a solar eclipse. The sun will be darkened and the moon will be turned to blood. Then, in Passover of 2015, and in Sukkot, which is the Passover of 2015 is April 4th, and the Sukkot 
of 2015, which is September 28th, they will be concluded with two more blood moons. So you will have two blood moons in 2014, and you will have two blood moons in 2015. 114 is Passover. 715 is Sukkot. Every way you look at it, it has been designed by the hand of God. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.